have to be your biggest fan. And when things are really tough and they're really rough and nothing's working, but there's something inside of you that says, I just have to follow that. Because you don't know who you're going to meet, who you're going to meet, who you're going to meet. This is Cola Shippentower. Some people know me for my professional fight career in MMA or even my journey with jujitsu and pro grappling. Others know me for my advocacy for everything indigenous. And some know me for my unique ability of pissing people off while cultivating change at the same time. My goal is not to make everyone mad though. I want to spark your imagination through your heart and mind while encouraging, challenging, and even empowering you to think differently with compassion and love. I don't need a shit ton of followers or fans, only you, the listener, who's willing to challenge societal norms and standards to create a better world for all of us to thrive in. Let's go. Feeling all the emotions today. It is September 30th, and I wanted to at least get some more information out, um, have a conversation with somebody that's really knowledgeable in this area that's also raising awareness and talking about it and advocating for Indigenous people everywhere. And we have talked to her before, so. Uh, I'm going to reintroduce her, Jordan. Welcome back. I am so excited because there's been a lot of changes personally for you, but then also just a lot of really good work that you're still continuing to do. So I'm really excited about catching up with you. Um, please, for the listeners that haven't got to meet you yet, uh, just introduce yourself really quick and let us know um, what's going on. How are you? Hey, thanks so much for having me back. Always good to be in this audio virtual space with you and have really great discussions about important topics. I'm Jordan Marie Brings, the White Horses Daniel, Koichasha Lakota, member of Koichasha Oyate, the Lower Bull Indian Reservation in Central South Dakota. I reside and I'm working and tuning in on Tongva Lands, Los Angeles, California, and I'm the founder, organizer, and executive director of Rising Hearts. Yay! all the things full plate as always but it looks like your life it's not even like a look it's it's a reality is your life is taking this huge turn this shift this amazing new blessing and i'm excited and i have to say you are absolutely glowing on the screen listeners can't see you but you can <laughs> see it and it is amazing how is this next journey what's going on there yeah, this next journey is creating sacred life and being really grateful and honored to to be able to do that. So I'm a little over 20 weeks and just saw baby just the other day and got to see all the toes and fingers and profile and a very active baby with apparently by the reaction of my daughter, my, my doctor who kept saying, whoa, and all that. So definitely feeling those movements and everything. It's just really precious. It's really different. Um, I've been hard on myself, which my partner keeps reminding me, Jordan, you are creating life. You are literally creating a human right now. Um, because I'm used to being very high functioning and like multitasking and like having it all together and like having pregnancy brain and like feeling really tired, feeling sick, not having the energy. And so I've been like too hard on myself, but it's also forced me to like slow down stop saying yes to everything, only saying yes to the things that really matter. Um, and then enjoying nesting, like nesting's been great. Just getting to know baby and, and being able to have that space with them is just really amazing. And we're really excited. 
Well, I feel absolutely honored that I'm one of the yeses. You decided to have this conversation with me and I was trying really hard right there. I was getting really emotional because we haven't met in person yet, but we get to watch each other virtually kind of through social media and just working together. So to just meet another human being that's just being human and just leveling up in different ways. It, it really makes me excited to hear. And then especially a brand new mom, like you're, the way you're, you talk about it is so beautiful. And I'm really excited for you in this part of your journey. So it's it's really hard for me not to get emotional about it. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. And yes, listen to your man and definitely give yourself grace and have patience through this journey. Enjoy every single part of it. So I am excited for that. And I think the other part of me, the reason why I get so overwhelmed when my friends are you know, creating life and about to be moms and about to bring another amazing soul into this world. Um, let's talk about today, September 30th. Can you let our listeners know about what is so special about today and why it's important we talk about it? Yes, today is September 30th, as you said, and it's also National Truth and Reconciliation Day and Orange Shirt Day in Canada for our relatives um, above the colonial border. And this is definitely an acknowledgement and recognition of the really troubling and heartbreaking legacy and era of boarding schools and residential schools. And this is where our little ones, <laughs> that's why it's like even making me more emotional than it used to, because I, now I'm a mom. Um, but this is where our ancestors, our relatives who were stolen and forced into these residential schools and boarding schools across Canada and the US and into missions um, where they were forced to assimilate, to be stripped of their indigeneity, of their language, forced to not speak it, forced to get their hair cut, forced to pick a Christian name. And this was all part of another tactic that contributed to the cultural genocide of indigenous peoples, not just the violence and the genocide that began in 1492 and like has continued, but it found other ways, colonial systems have found other ways to remove us, to eliminate us, to um, force us to assimilate into the constructs and into the society that they see as being the right way to live and not the, the indigenous or savage way to live. Um, so it's a very heartbreaking history because we have survivors that are alive today who who survived the, that era, who survived these boarding schools and these experiences. And people need to recognize that these aren't just schools that they went to for education. This was to force them to become assimilated, more modernized, more accepted, air quotes. Um, but it also contributed to high rates of violence, sexual abuse and assault, molestation. This led to homicides. This led to literally our relatives fleeing these schools, any chance that they saw. Some did make it back home and back to their families. Some didn't. They were caught, taken back to the schools, and then, you know, abused. And then, you know, we have accounts of survivors saying, yeah, I saw my cousin or my niece or like, you know, go into a different room with a nun or a priest or a teacher, and they never saw them again. And why this is so important now and why this is gaining traction and visibility is just because in the last few months, um, there has been an unearthing of 6,509 
Indigenous children um, who have been recovered and found in mass burial graves across Canada and the United States, but mainly mostly in Canada right now. Um, and that began at the Canloops Residential School with 215 Indigenous children being found. And so we need to have a call to action and call for justice and accountability and healing. And we really need to advocate and organize for truth. And this is a history that needs to be told in our school curriculums. These are part of the conversations that we need to be having every single day, um, especially with non-Indigenous communities. And this is also a day that just really remembers and honors all of our relatives that were stolen and to honor the survivors and descendants of today and to just bring attention and support and awareness to this much larger issue um, that really needs to be addressed. Absolutely. And what are some of the ways that our listeners and I, I want to really express the amount of traction this has gotten, especially in the indigenous community. I think a lot of people, a lot of people that wouldn't even consider themselves advocates or activists or a voice for the indigenous people. We know this because this has been in our history for as long as we can remember. A lot of us are children of survivors, grandchildren of survivors. So this isn't something new. This isn't something we just recently found out. We've been dealing with this for a long time. So the indigenous community is really blowing up on social media, whatever platform everyone's on. Um, so we get it. We get it. But again, non-indigenous people, what would be some of the steps that you could um, provide to them on if they're wanting to help, which right now, which I find amazing is almost every space that I walk into if I'm working to raise awareness, I am just blown away by the amount of non-Indigenous people that are willing to help now and they want to help. So what would be your advice to those people that are, are looking for things to do now? Yes. So first thing people can do is the very, very easy steps of going to the hashtags on social media, Orange Shirt Day, Every Child Matters, No Pride in Genocide. Um, bring them home. Uh, and you can see all of the pictures and the posts and the words that are going to be associated with those hashtags. And then the next thing is follow the voices, follow the organizers, follow um, the organizations, the survivors, the advocates that are sharing and talking about this, because all of them are providing ways for people to be invited in to take action. So definitely make sure that your feed is diverse and it is filled with all sorts of voices um, that can be able to speak to this and to, to help. Next thing is to, we need to rewind and learn how we got here, how this happened. You need to understand and learn about the Indian Act in Canada and everything that that was part of. I, I definitely learned a lot from a friend of mine, Shayla Stonechild um, of the Matriarch Movement and an incredible um, just voice organizer and yoga teacher. Uh, but she really gave a good history lesson on a panel that I shared with her talking about the Indian Act and like the 21 things you don't know and how it denied women's status. It introduced the residential schools. It um, restricted First Nation people from leaving the reserves and a whole bunch of other things. Um, and then the next thing that you can do, especially if you're in the US, you can learn about the Indian Civilization Act um, of 1819 and the peace policy of 1869. And all of this was in connection and support by several 
church denominations um, where they adopted the Indian boarding school policies, uh, like like I mentioned before, that led to the cultural genocide, um, and then also the very famous quote by um, General Richard Pratt, I believe, uh, kill the Indian, save the man mentality and belief. Um, so definitely learn about that because that's what created these, these systems and this trauma and this violence um, and this theft. And other ways you can take action is, you know, be an amplifier of all the messages and voices that are being put out there, especially by indigenous peoples, um, really call for increased funding and, uh, and resources, especially mental health support for survivors, descendants, advocates, and organizations within this work. Um, for Canada, they have 94 calls to action by the Truth and Reconciliation Report. They also have 231 calls for justice for missing and murdered indigenous relatives, and also help call for action um, in the U.S. to have a similar day and recognition, um, that which leads me into uh, support the Federal Indian Boarding School Truth Initiative um, in the United States that was introduced by Secretary Deb Haaland. Uh, that's going to be a really, um, I think, some powerful work can come out of it and hopefully can be similar to what's going on in Canada right now. For educators, if you're a teacher, include this in your history um, and in the classrooms. There are definitely plenty of resources and books out there that are appropriate for um, youth and adults that really talk about this. Call your representatives, make sure that they're aware of this. Um, call for the search of all boarding school and residential school properties um, and help bring our relatives home. Um, we had nine of our relatives from Carlisle Indian School that were brought back to the Rosebud Indian Reservation. And that began with Native youth actually demanding this and, and finding out who their their relatives and ancestors were. And so they actually just recently came home this summer and they were the ones that got, that had the honor to be able to lay these children to rest on their own homelands in their own community. Um, and that took, I think, nearly five years, several years maybe of work, um, but we need to do that. We need to bring our, our community members home. Um, we also need to do the biggest one, hold church leaders, nuns, priests accountable, and help to also dismantle the doctrine of discovery, um, which has contributed to a lot of what's happened, a lot of the injustice that is happening to Indigenous peoples. And go to the Get Involved tab on the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition website for actionable steps. If you're a teacher, if you're an ally, if you're a community organizer, if you're from the church, they have tons of petitions, join the coalition, ways for you to specifically take action and how you can continue to support and amplify what's going on. Absolutely. And I, I know uh, a lot of our listeners and I know definitely for my platform, I have a very, very huge following of like type A personalities where we like to just do, 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 go, go, go. What, what can we do? And um, this is a lot of great information. I will definitely be linking into it in the show notes, but something else that is really, I find to be really, really powerful. And especially with your journey with running is that you've actually have a virtual 5k and actually physical 5k because you guys are going to be in person today um, at some point. So um, can you talk about your, your virtual 5k that you have going on as well? Yeah, so people can go beyond just the very typical things of petitions or donating or taking the toolkits or and, and going by that or amplifying voices. 
whatever your platform it is, whatever your skill set is, whatever your passion or hobby is, you can definitely turn it into a creative pathway of amplifying really important issues that are happening in our community. So for me, I'm a runner. I've been running for 23 years. I'm a fourth generation runner. And it hasn't been until the last several years that I've seen the importance of intersecting running with advocacy um, and then prayer running being a separate component of that too um, in its own special way. But I've been using running to help amplify what's going on and to help also fundraise to donate and give back to organizations within the work that we're elevating. Um, so right now we have our virtual 5K Remembrance Front, Remembrance Run for Every Child Matters on Orange Shirt Day, which is today. But we also have it extended until this Sunday, October 3rd. So you have literally until 11.59 p.m. Eastern time to register. But you don't, if you don't wanna participate, you can also just donate. You can purchase stickers. We have a shirt, you can't see it, but I'm wearing it. It's by Agnes Woodward Recreations on Instagram, um, Every Child Matters shirt. And you can get your orange shirt and help raise awareness that way too. Um, not just on September 30th, but you can do it every day of the year, any day of the year and continue those conversations. And so right now we have, I think over like 600 people that have registered. Um, I haven't checked the final numbers, but the donations that we do receive, we're going to donate to the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition, the Indians Residential School Survivors Society in Canada and British Columbia, and then also Sovereign Bodies Institute because they are also doing the work of making sure that this trauma and this injustice um, with our relatives stolen enforced into the boarding schools and the survivors today is being intersected with the epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous relatives because this is the same exact thing um, and directly connected. So they're actually providing services to support the survivors. A lot of MMIW, MMIR families are survivors or are children or grandchildren of survivors. And you can also listen to the podcast, um, Missing and Murdered, Finding Cleo by um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on her name, but she is absolutely incredible. It's on CBC original and she finds, she's trying to find, you know, what happened to these two women in these two different seasons that she's talking about, but she's finding that in her interviews, she's finding that all of the relatives and family that are helping to like give her story more life to it. Um, she's finding out that they're all part of the residential school system that they were dealing with their own traumas that led to you know addiction substance misuse and um, just a lot of other things that are that we know that is happening within our communities and also that they were part of the 60s scoop um, the aim program that was in canada where children were literally stolen and forced into the welfare system which is the same thing here in the u.s with when we talk about the indian child welfare act and children um, you know, being stolen and taken from their families, even present day, that's still happening. So this is all interconnected. And this is also another way for you to continue your education. But um, that's who we're supporting with these donations from this virtual run. Um, and yeah, we're organizing an in-person run to a few of us just to be in community and be able to be together just doing this prayer run. And, and it's been a powerful platform. This is our 10th one that we've done. We've raised over 200,000 just as an organization and me by myself. And we've donated, I think, 180, 84,000 or 85,000 back into communities. 
um, and individuals and survivors. And, and you were definitely a recipient of that too and really, really honored and grateful to be able to support your work. Um, but this is just one creative way that we can make an impact and help help our communities. And what a beautiful way. And as someone who has always stressed, and you've heard me say this multiple times, I'm not a runner, um, but actually I'm starting to discover the more I've said it, the more I've actually become a runner. I'm actually running at least two to three times a week and like walking even more. But there is something so powerful, like you said, in connecting intention and purpose behind your workouts. So I, I've already ran two times um, in the past five days, but then I had scheduled my run for the 5K today. And I'm telling y'all the listeners, like if you are just like dreading it, even if you were just to do a walk with your family or do the 5k on your own and run it out, just keep, keep all these thoughts in mind of what we're talking about in this conversation. Um, I, I like for people to imagine, imagine being at home, you're watching TV, you're binge watching a show, you're eating pizza, you're hanging out with your kids and they're sitting there playing and they're running around the house doing the usual annoying things. Imagine somebody not even knocking on your door, but barging into your home and taking those kids, not telling you a single word. And if they are speaking any type of language, it's something you don't understand. You have no idea what they're yelling at you. No idea. But they have a hold of your children. The one thing that you're put on this earth to protect if you have these children, imagine them ripping them from your arms. And if you do try to keep them, if you do try to hold them, you're hit you're pushed away, you're being held back with a weapon, or some of these family members trying to protect their children died, trying to keep them home. Having them ripped from your arms and ripped away from everything that they know, being stripped of their clothing, having their hair cut off, and being forced to wear foreign things that don't make sense to them being forced to learn a language that doesn't make any sense to them. And anytime you try to reconnect with what you do know, it's literally physically beaten out of you. The thing is, is that this stuff was happening to the generation right before us. My dad is a boarding school survivor. And I know for some of our listeners who are especially non-Indigenous, they might have a hard time understanding that, that, but I usually try to give people that visualization because I know a lot of moms and I know how they would feel if that was taken from them, their children were taken from them. But when we get into talks about a lot of the stereotypes that we're facing as Indigenous people, oh, y'all are just alcoholics, you guys just like to gamble, you have your casinos, oh, you guys are doing this to yourselves, you're hurting each other, there's domestic violence, you guys are killing each other, you're doing all these things to each other, because you guys are on your reservation, you guys are just away from everyone else. These are one of the many reasons why there is intergenerational trauma, is because, like I said, even the generation before me, and I can very personally and directly attest to this is that a lot of the things that my dad went through and how he raised us was a response to what he was put through in those situations. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about alcoholism, it's because we're, we're coming from a generation that didn't know how to work through that. They didn't know how to express their emotions because if they expressed anything, they were beaten. 
And so they're still trying to work through that. So we're still feeling the effects of it today. And then also going into the modern day residential school system is like you said, child welfare. We have ICWA, which is supposed to be here to work for us and it was supposed to help protect us. It doesn't always work out that way. Children are still being taken away from their homes, being placed with families that they do not know. And it's still happening to this day. I have actually witnessed it with my own two eyes and I had a hard time sitting with it because I didn't know what else to do because I was trying to advocate for my people. And it gets really, really difficult that for, to try to express to people that this is still happening. We're still feeling the effects of this today. Yes, this may have been, you know, in the 1970s, like a lot of this was really happening hard, but we're still feeling it today. And something I had to bring to light to some people earlier this month, the first week of September, was there was a story that came out, a sixth grade boy in Oklahoma got into some type of physical altercation was forced to the ground and those boys cut off his hair. So that tells me that those boys had someone in their life telling them, this is how we deal with our emotions. This is how we deal with native children. This is how we deal with anything. So it's having the difficult conversations that are going to bring about this change and bring about this next level of intergenerational healing. Because I I've reached this point of realizing that a lot of things that I experienced as a child was not the fault of my parents. It was not something that they were able to control because they were doing what they could with what they knew. And it's the effects of what had happened to them as children. So that was one thing I really want to stress and really have people visualize that. I have three young boys and they all have long hair and I hope that they will continue growing it out. I have one that has already made the decision that he wanted to cut it, but he understands that it's his choice. And that's the beauty of it. It's his choice. He's nobody forced him. He just said, I, I, I'd like to cut off my hair, but I like to keep part of it long. So that was his choice. And that's a beautiful thing where we're coming from history that told us, no, we can't, yeah. but we're still moving about in this world where I know when my boys walk into a space, they have, an energy about them that demands attention and respect, but then there's going to be some of those people that don't respect it and they're going to question it. And it gets really scary sometimes. So I think that when people are wanting to participate and talk about this stuff, getting informed, getting educated and really reading into some of the, the government documents that are still holding us back today. And then even something like just following on social media or what you're taking in, participating in a 5K and how much more of an impact it can have when it's done with more purpose and intention and thought behind it. Um, and one last thing I wanted to share was as non-Indigenous people, something that you have to remember is that we're trying to raise awareness to these issues and we're wanting people to help. We're wanting people to get informed and educated. But something I have to stress to some non-Indigenous people is do your best to not take this on and make it something of your own. And also don't try to force Indigenous people to heal the way that you think that we should be healing. I think something that really struck a very negative chord with me about a month ago is somebody told me to stop labeling myself. 
in regards to calling myself an indigenous person. And it was really frustrating for me in that moment because it's not a label, it's who I am. Mm -hmm. And how dare you tell me that I'm labeling myself? It may have been coming from some type of heartfelt place and try not to exclude myself from other people. But the, my reality is, and my proud reality is, is that I am an indigenous woman and that is not a label that is who the hell I am. So Mm -hmm. I, I will, I will say that for non-indigenous people do your best not to force indigenous people or any other culture to heal or navigate the way that you think that they should. Yeah. Exactly. I I can't believe someone said that to you. I think think people need to realize that, you know, yeah, we are proud in who we are and we like saying who we are and the nations we come from or speaking in our language, but there is a very distinct difference in how we have to make ourselves visible and audible to people because we are um, people and communities that are being targeted, that are most vulnerable, that are treated as the most disposed um, when we talk about violence and the epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous relatives, you know, we saw it with the Gabby Petito case, especially with indigenous women and relatives and people of color going missing and being found murdered. They don't get anywhere near the attention, um, that Gabby and so many other cases have received before in terms of the media and, and the immediate quick response. So there is a big difference in, I hear you. I've I've gotten that experience before, and and people saying that to me that like when I talk about women's safety and I make the distinction that indigenous women's safety, women of color is very different from you know white women's safety. Yes, we want all our women safe, but there is an added layers to the complexity of that issue, um, and it's just a privilege that some people get to have more of that we don't. Um, so yeah, it, it, it may suck. We do have to break it down though. And we need people to really understand what contributes to that violence or that injustice, um, and really give visibility to, to the people who are no longer here, who have no voice, um, while also upholding who we are as indigenous peoples and being proud. You brought up this crazy trending name, Gabby Petito. I have so many things that I would, I would really like to say the, the very surface level comment that people have asked me, like, what do you think about that case? I said, well, that white privilege really did fail her. And that's where I usually leave it. Cause that is a prime example of if you're young, pretty and white cops are going to let you off a little quicker. So that, that was my, my two cents on that. But again, the, the talks about residential schools and our children, and rec- like break, trying to bring them back home and trying to build this, this new world of safety for the next generation that's coming up. And it is so closely connected also to the MMIWR movement. I mean, these are some of the, the originals of that whole movement is children that were taken and not returned back home and that are still not being returned back home even after all of this. So I really hope our listeners take into account everything that you shared today, Jordan, and all the action, all the steps that they could take to advocate. And even if it means um, our own community, other indigenous people that are still kind of sitting here, like, what can I do? How can I help? Like, I don't have that platform. I don't have that kind of following, but what can I do? It doesn't, you don't have to have all the followers. You don't have to have 
all these crazy things, all the fancy bells and whistles, just the the heart and the love for your people is going to mean so much. And having the conversations, even within just your own home, I think are really, really important. Talk to your kids about it. Start finding maybe some of these, these books. I've seen some of these books. They're just amazing. The illustrations, the way that the stories are told that are appropriate and not like super scary where kids can really understand the importance behind this issue is been really nice because, you know, we don't want to create this new level of fear for our children to live in. I, I don't want to send my boys off to school thinking that somebody is always out to get them. I want them to enjoy life. I want them to be proud of who they are. I don't ever want them thinking that they have to hide that. Yeah. And so there's so many resources out there and is there anything else that you want to let our listeners know about today or maybe some of the other projects that you have coming up and how we can be there to support you and how we can all just help each other coming together as community? What, what else do we have going on, Jordan? Yeah, two things. I think, um, you know, a really great example that I know probably took a lot to be able to do on national television was, you know, I don't want to like bash or have any hate towards the Petito family, but seeing them take an opportunity on national public television to bring attention to that. They know that their daughter was found quickly and all of the resources were pulled quickly and that this doesn't happen for so many other cases that are where people are just missing and for him and the family to publicly say that, that we need to be showing up in this way for every single missing person. Um, I just thought was really powerful, especially, you know, as they're mourning and grieving. And um, I just think that's a really great way and step to continue the conversation and make it inclusive and how you can take a national platform that they were given that they had right there to kind of turn the cameras back on to the other people who are missing. Um, so that's an example. Really quick. Just because I know how harsh my comment might have sounded because you just are so eloquent with the way that you speak. I definitely, I, I definitely recognize that. So the Petito family, like all of my prayers, condolences and love to them because we, we know what it feels like to have a loved one taken and not returned back. We totally understand that. I guess my, my comment was more towards this whole battle that we've been fighting for several years now, which is with uh, judicial personnel, which is law enforcement, attorneys, lawyers, judges, all of them is they need better training, which it sounds like we have some movement that's going, some traction that's starting to hit in Operation Lady Justice. A little bit more things are being done here and there. And I, I definitely partake in all of these, the this work that's being done, but that's a huge issue right there was that's why I meant to say is that's why that white privilege failed her because I can't imagine how that cop has to feel now is like, what if, what if I had arrested her? And so I think that when we're approaching any type of domestic violence, sexual assault cases, regardless of who it is, because everyone is important, is what if it was your own child? What yeah. would you want law enforcement to do if it was your own child? Hold them accountable for maybe their actions that they were taking. But then also, what if that would have been the safest place to have had her is in the back of your patrol vehicle rather than putting her back into this van with this person and sending them off? So that's where my comment came from. It did seem a little bit like sideways, but again, when I'm, when I'm talking about law enforcement and the issues that I have with them, very passionate. So, but again, love and condolences to the Petito family, everything that they've done. And yes, I love that they were able to recognize the amount of attention and media, just this uproar that it caused. Um, and the fact that they wanted to bring it back to, Hey, we have some other things that are going on as well. So, um, definitely wanted to stress that there. 
Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I, I, for me, even doing this work to non-Indigenous peoples, I try and create the easiest path with examples um, of what this could look like. Um, but the next thing I want to say, too, and give visibility, which we haven't really said why today is the day and what the color orange is, is like the reason why September 30th is chosen is because this was around the time where the government church leaders, people would come into the homes, come to the communities and steal the children. And then it would be the start of the school year. And so this was chosen as that day to kind of commemorate um, and honor the children that were stolen um, and forced into the schools. And then we also have the reason why it's the color orange. We have to, you know, give much appreciation and respect and um, honor and visibility to Phyllis Webstead. Uh, she is First Nations up in Canada. And when she was six years old, she was gifted an, or a beautiful orange shirt. Um, and then she went to a residential school and then had it immediately taken away from her, stripped of all of her clothing. Um, and so this was one, a really traumatizing experience for a six-year-old. Um, but this is something that, you know, began helped begin this movement helped continue these conversations and that led into creating the orange shirt society who is just doing so much work in terms of truth and reconciliation for canada and i really hope a lot of what we're seeing in canada in terms of how they've been able to mobilize and organize and push the government that we can do the same thing here in the united states that we can also have a recognition or like an international recognition day together um, and I think we're headed in that direction, especially with Secretary Deb Halen, like in such a high position and really bringing attention to these issues, um, especially with like the task force that she wants to start um, to address the boarding school era. So I think we definitely need to remember why if you're participating in a run, walk, bike, swimming, however you're moving today um, until Sunday or any day of the year is remember why you're wearing orange if you have it. Remember why you're moving and being out there and connecting with yourself and with nature and setting these intentions and purpose and just reflecting on everything that we've talked about so far. Absolutely. And again, I will be linking everything I can in the show notes and make sure to go and follow Jordan on Instagram and also at Rising Hearts, which is one of the organizations that she facilitates a lot of these uh, virtual 5Ks and many of the other uh, virtual spaces for people to get some movement in and just some healing and growth um, in other places. I mean, you have people on there that are just opening up for conversations and just being able to just be together, especially we thought that this pandemic era was almost finished and we were all going to start coming back together but unfortunately that's just not how it's happening it seems to have more spike in numbers and so we're kind of inching our way back to these virtual spaces to protect ourselves protect our families and our communities so uh, you'll definitely want to check out rising hearts for all those different options on there i i usually tell like a lot of people i'm like it's not just for indigenous people it's for everyone if you're wanting to connect a little bit more um with other people that have such diverse backgrounds you've got yoga you've got dancing you've got conversation you've got um, beadwork there's just all these different options that you have on there which is really beautiful so we'll we'll link out to those you guys have lots of options today's a, a really big day so again to all my other advocates and allies out there please make sure to take care of yourselves make sure that you're doing the things that help you feel good and to reconnect you back with your family your loved ones and um, 
do what you can to reach out to make sure you're taken care of. But if it means even just staying at home and maybe binge watching a show, I'm not opposed to that either. But again, protect <laughs> your peace and just make sure you're you're taking care of yourself so we can continue this work. So thank you again, Jordan, so much. It's always such a, a beautiful experience being able to talk with you. Viva Palamere. Thank you so much. The I Am Podcast was created and produced by me, Cola Shippentower. You have to be your biggest fan. And when things are really tough and they're really rough and nothing's working, but there's something inside of you that says, I just have to follow that. Because you don't know who you're going to